I think some of the most important things you could do to create a flywheel and actually stay consistent with it is like consistency, creating really high quality content. Well, hello and welcome to the Leverage Street Podcast. This is a show that helps you leverage the talent and tactics of high performers. I'm Craig Shoemaker and today's guest is Lucas Bean. With leadership roles at Atari, Sony Pictures, and executive experience with multiple dot-coms selling for over $400 million, Lucas knows how to build and scale businesses. He's currently the co-founder and CEO of Social Proof, an AI-powered ad platform, and is dedicated to connecting creators and helping them scale their personal brands. Lucas, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here, Craig. That's, that's great to hear. We, uh, we've had an opportunity to get together and hang out and get to know each other a little bit. So it's great that we get to do this here today. I'm excited, my man. It's it's definitely one of the biggest pleasures I've had on Twitter meeting you. <laughs> There's not that a lot of people that I, I classify as like people that are on the know and you're one of those people. Oh, I appreciate so, that. Again, absolutely my pleasure That's for awesome. being here. So. so one of the cool things that you have is this really cool story about, I think you've spent more time on Twitter spaces than anyone else, maybe in the world. So how did this experiment of yours come come about? That's a really good question. And I, I get that a lot, actually. People are like, wait, how did you do 6,000 plus hours on Twitter spaces? And I'm like, by doing the first hour, <laughs> right? I was working at a fintech company consulting over the pan during the pandemic. It was kind of soul crushing, I guess you could say. Right? I mean, I was paid very well. But I didn't feel, I felt like I needed to build my personal brand and like get out there and really challenge myself, especially right after the pandemic. And it wasn't really, pandemic was still, I guess, still going on. So I started eight, at the end of April of 2021, right when spaces were new. And I just said, hey, you know what? I'm going to go up and start raising my hand on some of these stages because I feel like I have something to like some value to add. And my first space was crazy. It was uh, the CFO of Twitter at the time and Jim Cramer. And I, I know it's crazy, right? I just like, wait, what? Like how in the world did I end up on stage with these two cats? And I'm like, I did. They like, hey, anybody have any questions? I raised my hand, added some value to the conversation on spaces. And we got a cool side story from Jim Cramer that was like, by the way, guys, I haven't slept on a Tuesday night in 20 years. And I'm like, wait, you actually stay up literally all night on a Tuesday night and you don't sleep at all. And he's like, yeah, I really don't. I'm like, how do you stay awake? How do you function? And he's like, eight cups of coffee or something <laughs> like that. And I'm like, oh my God, like I can't imagine that's healthy for you. But after that conversation, I was so, I just felt very empowered. And I did, a, I was doing a bunch of research in the tech space of like the Web3 NFT space and uh, crypto, stuff like that and blockchain. And then I ended up on a stage where people were talking about crypto and they brought me up and I added a lot of value and they kept asking me to come back. And I was like, wow, I wonder why these guys want me to come back. I just kept going back to those spaces. And then I ended up in another space, one of my favorite offer, offers, like Nir Ayel, like wrote like Indistractable and Hooked. And I popped up when he, he had another space up and I, I was able to talk to my favorite author, one of my favorite authors. And I saw the power of spaces basically where everybody kind of, you did it right and you kept doing it. You get access to people. It's like the most, one of the most powerful networking tools in the world, I think, is live audio. And I think I saw it and then I just started doing it because I had an audience. The audience kept building 
as I kept holding spaces. So I went from like 40 to 50 people in my space to 100 people in my space to 150. And in, in a way, it was like people were basically validating what I said is value, right? There was like a lot of value there. They kept validating the stuff I was saying as like saying, hey, everything you're saying is like something we want to listen to. So I just kept doing it and helping people. Now, my goal was kind of like to help people understand blockchain, help people understand like, like what, how it could be used in the future and like how NFTs can be used, how web, like just Web3 technology can be used to like create ownership and authenticity. And it just took off from there. And then I started talking about the topics that I love the most, which is like marketing, branding, and just having a, a regular conversation. So I was hosting spaces, co-working with people for, you know, 10 hours a day. I was the host and I, this is way before we even had co-host features. So just imagine <laughs> I had to stay up and ask, ask questions. There was no co-hosts. So if someone dropped down or lost connection, I'm the one who had to bring them back up. Co-host feature was added a year oh later. Gosh. So it was literally me hosting these spaces. And uh, yeah, I just made a, a ton of friends. It was during a bull market in a, in a NFT, in the uh, NFT and also the blockchain crypto space. So all these people were coming in and like listening to us and having great conversations. And we're talking people from across the world, right? And all walks of life. Like none of these people were just in my little tech bubble silo that I've, I used to be in. This little, hey, 3,000 people on the internet like know who I am and you know they all run like tech companies. And instead of that, I was talking to retail people, mm. right? Like the people who invested in like, that were, that were buying on, um, What's that platform called? Oh, yeah, Robinhood. Everybody that was invested in Robinhood, they started doing the whole uh, Wall Street bets and stuff like that. And then they moved over to crypto because crypto started going up and Elon Musk was promoting uh, Dogecoin and stuff like that. So it was kind of like a big deal. And everybody was still trapped in the house, which people don't talk about <laughs> enough. I think pe people being trapped in the house like really created this like amazing growth opportunity. For, and people were just like looking and, and crazy ravenous for content at the time because... They wanted to forget they were in the middle of a pandemic and things were uncertain. Hey, do you want to get parts of these interviews that aren't available anywhere else? Where you can join the Leverage 3 email list and get access to exclusive content just for subscribers. So go on over to leverage3podcast.com and sign up today. Yeah, I think they, they wanted to forget for sure. And, and I think also you know, people's livelihoods became threatened in, in a lot of different ways. And so that kind of pushed them for looking for different options or, or different avenues in order to earn an income that perhaps they wouldn't have in the past. Yep. I agree. And I think people, people were also, I mean, there's, there's also the 98% or 95% of the people that want to get rich right. quick. And they think, you know, they bought a lottery ticket by buying the right, you know, cryptocurrency or during the NFT bull run like the right nft where they could flip and make like 300 to a thousand or ten thousand percent they saw all these like winners right at the end of the day the social proof on the internet at the time was hey some of these people that bought dogecoin are now millionaires some of these people that bought these nfts are now millionaires they've changed their life with one purchase in seven days and it's like everybody that saw that saw that as social proof that hey if they can do, get rich so can i which is what any kind of bull market does. Like when it came to penny stocks all the way back to the roaring 20s, the gold rush, tulip mania back in 1636, <laughs> 1637, where 
people gold rushed and sold tulips to each other for crazy amounts of money. So I think that's a lot. I think that was a lot of the biggest, some of the biggest drivers. So do you think that the opportunity with spaces exists the same way today as it did back when you were doing all of this activity? Not a chance. Yeah. So they, so spaces, one of the spaces was new. It gave you an algorithm boost that was unparalleled and unmatched in any other way, shape or form. I was getting at least a couple hundred followers a day just by, and it sounds like no big deal, 10 hours, but to me it wasn't. Time flew because I was having fun doing it. But it was also, it was definitely a point where I, I got burned out, but there's no way, there's no way Twitter spaces is that fruitful anymore. And the, the key is always leveraging people with large audiences and having them come onto spaces and then interviewing them there. And then that audience, partially that audience hears you speak. And they're, they're obviously highly qualified people following some of these, these folks. And you get to like bleed off of that and they get to know who you are. They're like, wow, who is this guy? I like what he's saying. I'm going to follow him right. as well. And I think borrowing other audiences is kind of like a way to do things now. That's the, that's the I, guess, I hate to say growth hack because people don't like to say the word hack. That's the, that is definitely the growth hack of like leveraging other people's audiences by interviewing them to leverage this. I would say I agree with that approach. So we're here yeah. to get today yeah. together. <laughs> it works. It works, right? right? <laughs> so it works. It doesn't. It doesn't always work, but it works. Uh, it works like eighty percent of the time. It works all right. The time. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's like anything else. It's it's one of those things to where it doesn't work all the time, but it works long term. Like it, it just has to be something that you you commit to and you continue to do. And and once you begin to build momentum, then that that really tends to help out. Yep, the flywheel is everything. I right, totally agree. Right. So in, in terms of of helping people navigate this seemingly treacherous territory of building their brands, of of trying to carve out who they are online and gaining and keeping attention, what other things would you help and, and suggest that people do in order to to make that happen? I think building systems and processes around like keeping up momentum is like critical. And I'm still trying to, I'm still playing the Rubik's cube part of that, solving the right. problem of building because it's a, it's a regular, you can never stop trying to solve that problem. It doesn't matter how big you get on social or wherever you are, you always have to be iterating and innovating in a way where you're changing your methods up with whatever new technology is coming out. So let's say some new product gets released by Twitter, take advantage of it because it's going to, any new product released by any social media platform anywhere is the thing you should go after quickly to grab as much attention as you can to mm -hmm. grow, to keep growing. And you have to keep on with that. It is a hamster wheel, but the process and systems, specifically the systems you build out to rapidly iterate and ideate my content is like so critical. And like I said, I'm still working on that part to like stay up with a lot of these people I see doing it. I definitely need to, to build my process a little bit better, but I think that's the key is like literally going after the new things that people release, but also consistency. Like if you post consistently and you comment back and forth with people consistently, every platform you're going to see, even mediocrely, going to see results in a, in a good way. So 
the law of 100s I believe in, post 100 tweets, find out which ones work, which ones resonate, and reimagine those tweets and rewrite those tweets. I mean, you kind of gave me that insight too, where when I write one message, I write it five different ways, and now I have five different messages across a whole bunch of time. And I think that's an amazing tactic. I think it's really important to focus on consistency and showing up, especially when you don't want to. <laughs> I've definitely found myself down that rabbit hole of, hey, I don't want to do this right. today. And there have been times where I didn't yeah. do it because I was just, I'm just so burnt out. I cannot do these yeah. things. But then there are days where I'm like spot on. So it's an interesting yeah, it thing. Is. It's definitely a hamster wheel. Right. Yeah. The, the consistency in, in dealing with the whole emotional aspect of what it takes in order to build something from the ground up that's basically all you. I mean, because, you know, we're talking about personal brands. We're talking about solopreneurs type of thing. I mean, sure, if, if you have a company, you have a staff, you have a force of people that you can distribute and delegate to. That has its own set of problems entirely that can discourage you for a whole bunch of different reasons. But in terms of, of being able to remain motivated and keep going on that consistency, there's a whole emotional aspect to it. I, I think that perhaps we don't talk about enough. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, the emotional roller coaster, you have to kind of like build yourself up to realize that you're going to have a lot of down days at first, right? And the, the, the goal is to have more up days than down days because we're always going to have down right. days, right? It's the key is to get as many up days and have more up days than the down days. But just know and remember that those down days are going to happen. Your, your tweet's not going to hit right. Your LinkedIn post isn't going to hit right. Your video is not going to get the views you think it deserves. There's so many things that go wrong on a regular basis. The algorithm changes. Like again, Twitter just experienced the big algorithm change. And there's a lot of like impressions lost here. And I, I'm hearing that across the board. So deplatforming your audience, like again, when people talk about this all the time, but so critical to get your audience in a place where you have, I wouldn't say you want to you control the audience, but you control who messages the audience and how they get a message to your audience. That's really what you want to control is the ability to communicate with your audience that's not through a platform that can change its algorithm and be very painful when you've been building on this platform for like two and a half years, three years. <laughs> right. And that stuff happens. Yeah. I mean, it just does, yeah. right? So you can't be too unhappy about it. But at the same time, it's like you've got to build up a resilience of like, okay, now what do I need to do to solve the next problem to start going and getting the impressions right. we, we used yeah. to get? You have to respect the arena you're playing in for sure. Now, yeah. I, I know that you've had a lot of experience and a lot of success when it comes to building your own and helping others build up those mail lists and, and doing that whole operation of Depop. And what have you found in terms of, of things that tend to work better than others when it comes to, to growing those lists and nurturing those audiences that way? Well, there's a couple things, but creating a flywheel effect is always the best. And it's funny, like everybody talks about creating like flywheels where people are interacting with your content and things like that. Problem with flywheels is like, why do they interact with your content on a regular basis? Like what value are you providing? Is the algorithm actually helping you see the same content over and over again? Do you want to interact with it? So for me, it's that flywheel is so important. And I think, I think some of the most important things you could do to create a flywheel and actually stay consistent with it and have people see it on a regular basis is exactly what I said earlier is like consistency, creating really high quality content, 
finding out the content that actually works for people, re like basically reimagining it or be inspired by their content to actually stay in that kind of like method of like having them see your content on a regular basis. It's, it's not easy though. Like the flywheel, there are a couple of things you can do that'll make it easier, which is build a process of around exactly what you want to do in the morning where you're like, here's the time period I'm going to go communicate to people on their posts, right? Let's just say it's LinkedIn. Here is the time period I'm going to post and then communicate back on my posts with them. And if you get back to them and you communicate back and forth, you can share audiences because they're commenting, the other people are com you're commenting back and you create this like relationship and eventually take it offline like we did, right. right? We took it offline. We had a couple of Zooms. It was great. We actually, obviously, at least I think it's, it's great. I think there's a couple of other ways to do it too, especially on Twitter. Like Twitter does not mind you doing like a giveaway. Giveaways can be super powerful keep the momentum up and, and build a flywheel and build social proof around it as well. Like if you actually do a giveaway and you start showing people winning the giveaway and retweeting the messages of them actually winning these giveaways, it shows validation of like, wow, these, there are actual people winning these things or getting these like achieving giveaways. So it's like, I will take part. I will remessage, reshare, whatever mm -hmm. it is. And you use products rather than paid ads to target. So if you use a, if you want to get a bunch of people to sign up, you could just use an iPad, right? But you're going to get crappy engagement eventually, right? People are signing up for all the wrong reasons. Now, if you give away something that just the audience you're looking to attract want and know about, that's the secret like hack to creating like a flywheel effect that works really, really well that will amplify your social impressions across all channels. And I think it'll just keep the flywheel flying as long as you keep showing which people won along the way as social proof. So I think a giveaway is no matter how much people hate them, <laughs> they just work. Like they, they just work. And if you give away targeted giveaways for the audience, the only, you know, again, giving away a, like a, Great idea. It's like a giveaway an iPad. Everybody wants an iPad, right? Everybody wants to sell an iPad on eBay after they win one for free, or they just want to keep it. And are they going to take part in the next giveaway? No, probably not. You're not probably going to let them win for the next at least three giveaways in a row, right? So I would recommend giving away a very unique product. So if you want to reach photographers, give away something only photographers want. If you want to reach people in a band, Give away things that only these band people, like people that are playing a rock band would want because who else would want this stuff? And the same thing goes with like business people. What do business folks want that other people don't want? Like they don't even know about. It could be, hey, I'll pay for your Dun & Bradstreet membership for the year. <laughs> or, I mean, right. it, it really is that simple though, right? You find something that a, that a core audience wants, start giving it away and see what happens. It only takes... You know, I've seen people giving away like $100, $100 in cash and stuff like that, which is such a weird giveaway. It's interesting. So I think it's really important to target your products. So I think that's a really good way of creating a flywheel that, that just keeps So going. let's break down the flywheel for, for a second, and then we can come, come back to talk about the giveaways some more because I have some more, more questions on that. So sure. do, do you see it like, yeah, what, what are the main like natural breaking points of the flywheel? 
Meaning as in breaking as it doesn't no, work? No, no, no. So co- just main components. So you oh, have your fr- you have a, a, a giveaway or perhaps a lead magnet that helps as the, the feeder into it, right? That's how you have people coming into kind of your world. So what are the yeah. other components that help make this thing turn? Your, first, it's your, your original audience, right? So build your audience for a little bit so that you have some people to see this stuff. And then you just want to make sure the offer, like I said, the product you're giving away not the entire, like internet wants it, like an iPhone. Of course, everybody wants an iPhone, right? So you just got to make sure that that's all in place. And then you actually have a good user experience. The most important part, critical part, is the user experience. You need, you cannot have like signing up with an email address and hitting submit. Like it's just not enough because people will use fake emails and all sorts of stuff. And then when they get to a, a spot where you fill out an email or like, multiple fields that are like fill in the blank fields, you're going to lose like 80 or 90% of those people that are coming to sign up. What you want to do is make the landing experience as slippery as possible, like crazy, crazy easy so that people don't even have to think to sign up. And then that one or two click sign up process that you have, it doesn't just generate a registration of like an email address and their information, but it also triggers them to follow you and re and the whole messaging is like, Hey, follow, retweet this, that, whatever the message is like, follow this, that, you know, repost and you enter the, uh, the basically the giveaway. So if you keep doing that, it's never not worked for me to build an audience very quickly. And I'm not talking like, Oh, it's going to build an audience like overnight. No, no, no. Quickly meaning over a course of months rather than years, You can build a very big audience giving away things that will then listen to you, help you also engage with the algorithm, which will give you crazy interactions through Twitter or like let's say it doesn't really matter which platform. And I'm just going to say Twitter for now. And those things are are like interactions, likes, all the stuff that you want to get are happening in this giveaway. And then you're giving away something to your audience. So they're in a way being incentivized to interact with your posts. And it might seem inauthentic, but some of the biggest accounts that are on, like I'm just going to use Twitter as an example, on Twitter have absolutely been giveaway people. Like they might not be giveaway people today, <laughs> but they were giveaway people until they hit a certain number on Twitter and then they stopped doing giveaways. Right. So giveaways are some of the most powerful tools to build an audience on any social media platform and people use it all the time. You might not see it, but some of the biggest accounts, you know, are actually doing it right now. And you just don't see it. Cause there's like all sorts of different types of social media posts that are like, which are called shadow posting where you don't really see the post. It's a, it turns into an ad rather than a, just a regular post in their timeline or their feed. So those shadow posts really get, the targeted audiences that they want that then amplify the message that then get it to to more people. And then, yeah, you're just going to have a really cool kind of flywheel built from it. If you keep doing it, like I said, it's all about consistency. If you stop doing giveaways, you only do one and you don't ever do another one. You're not going to be able to make the flywheel fly. If you do giveaways consistently every single month and people are seeing people win by social proof, and them telling people they won, not just you telling people they won. That right there alone will make that flywheel fly really fast. And it'll just like take off to a point where you're like, wow, what do I do with 
what do I do with all these subscriptions? Like, what do I do with all these people signing up? What do I do? Like, I, there's like 100,000 people that want to like hang out with me now. Like, what's going on? That's what happens with a flywheel and properly adjusted and amped with a little bit of funds. Don't forget, it's not just your audience. You actually have to put a little money behind it to get the ads, like some ad spend out on that platform so that other people outside of your network see mm. So, so let me play devil's advocate here for a second. So you have, sure. uh, you have a giveaway set up, you have a bunch of people registering for it. You know, you, you award the winner, you make a big splash, like that whole process works really well. Right. But then in terms mm-hmm. of, of you as a creator, once you want to be able to go back to this list of people and, and continue to nurture them and, you know, the, the whole reason we're doing this, I, I would imagine is at, at some point to provide or propose an offer to them. How warm, like, do, do you see a difference between like they are kind of warm, kind of cold when it comes to then being able to position yourself as having an offer for them because they came in through this route or what are you seeing there? So, yes. So when you do, I mean, all growth, regardless, you know, I mean, you could pay for ads on Google, you know, Google ads, you could pay for ads on Instagram through Facebook marketplace, um, met or meta ads, what do you want to call it? Pay for ads on TikTok, And every single time you run an ad or post a post, you're always going to get unqualified users. Like at the end of the day, people sign up just to sign up sometimes and they use their email addresses that they don't really use. And even if you get the most highly qualified leads, right. Or people that want to read, like, let's just say a newsletter. I think it's just it's just the way of the world where volume equals degradation in like open rates and click rates and things like that. No matter what, like it doesn't really matter. You could you could literally have a a, a business that's completely dedicated to talking to like startup and tech people, right? And all you have is an audience in your inbox and on a newsletter that are reading your newsletter, and you have a hundred thousand subscribers, right? And they could be all startup and tech people, but you know what? Your your open rates and your click rates, like I said, as soon as they grow, you're going to get people that don't open it. You're going to get people that go to spam. Mm. You're going to get people that just don't have time to read it. People, there are some masochistic people out there that leave their inboxes like filled with unread messages, like thousands of unread messages. I don't know how they do it, by the way, (laughs) but uh, I actually need to have an inbox zero every day. I literally mark all as red. Oh, I mark all as red for sure. Like there are emails where I'm like, probably need to respond to this, but I'm gonna, I'm just gonna like select all and mark as red. And uh, I, if I, if I want to get back to my set the, the timer reminder in Google uh, in Gmail, have you used I, that I, recently? I, not recently. You can, but yeah, yeah, it's amazing that that timer where it's like, hey, you know what? Remind me tonight or remind me tomorrow of this email, and that's useful. But otherwise, like I, I'm subscribed to 25 newsletters minimum, probably more. And I don't read any of them because, and and I'm super qualified for that audience, right? So I am one of the people that should be reading them, but you just, there's just not enough time to read everybody's newsletter all the time. Especially if you're, and it's a first movers. Yeah. I was just saying, especially if you're trying to create things as well, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just no way. And like, yeah, there's some, some of them I want to see because there's like new entrances to the market. Once you read like a couple of, these folks emails too, you kind of like know what their message is and know what their format is. You know, like what's going to happen in the, the next newsletter, I guess you could say. But once you get like new entrance into the space, it's like you want to like see how they're approaching it. Is it unique or are they just doing what everybody else is doing? So I think it's important to understand that with growth, 
with a, with a flywheel and a giveaway, you're always going to see, and this is with growth with or without, and it might happen quicker, or it might seem like it happens quicker to get people not reading or not taking part in your offers. But I'll take 100,000 subscribers and have a 25% open rate than having 10,000 subscribers with a 50% right. open rate because it's just the scale is, is what you're working <laughs> off of. Yeah. yeah, it's scale. And when you scale, your open rate's going to degrade. It's just not going to be this like, oh my God, this is amazing every time. Oh my God, I have all, I'm just going to open this guy's every email and that's it. You've got to remember like how many people actually take part in these things, right? They read it. And this is just an example, sorry. So I'm just going to carry on yeah. a little bit, but people like read emails and each one of the emails is teaching you something, right? So, or at least hoping that's the answer, right? Teaching um, through, a, through a newsletter. So it's, do you have time to learn something new? And how many people actually put into play the stuff they learn from a newsletter, right? How many? 99% of the people don't do shit. We already know that. Sorry, I can't swear. But 99% of the people, you could give them... You could give them this like blueprint. You could give them this treasure map and a shovel. <laughs> right. And they still won't go right. dig it up. <laughs> they'll still be skeptical or they'll come up with a, hey, I got to go watch Netflix. I got to finish right. that series. Or, hey, I got to do that or this. or. And I think that the answer there is like, you just know that that's going to happen with growth. So when you jump from 10,000 subscribers to 50,000 subscribers to 100,000 subscribers, the goal is to let the, you know, obviously the open rates and the click rates stay similar or stagnant. I would take stagnant in a sure. heartbeat, but just with growth, it just doesn't happen that way. No matter what you do, it's just going to, the open and, and click rates and any kind of thing, any kind of growth, any kind of new user acquisition, whether you're selling them something or just acquiring them via an email address or a phone number, anytime you grow, you're always going to have degradation in open rates, click rates, and just conversion rates and, you know, unsubscribe rates, stuff like that. So, so tell, tell me a little bit about how you've done this in the past. We've talked about kind of the concept, but what sort of histories behind it and, and what sort of successes have you had doing that? Yeah. So I've done this at in different, multiple different categories. So uh, all the way from lead generation to entertainment to gaming, to social commerce sites, which aren't really that that appealing anymore. It feels like the social commerce stuff is seen that season. But for example, I have a good example of tactical execution on this is that I did this for a social commerce site for musicians. And what I did was called tribal marketing back. I mean, this was, man, this is 2012. So around 2012, I, 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 I don't know if I coined the phrase or not. I don't know if the tribal marketing was around, but I, I basically segmented people into these tribes that were part of a band, right? And this is rock bands. This isn't like woodwinds and brass instruments, stuff like that. So these are rock bands and they, they all have like different avatars with them. So like the lead singer is not always the front guitar man. Um, and the guitarist has different needs than the bass player. And the bass player has different needs than the drummer, right? So I basically targeted these audiences separately with items only they would want and know about. And for an example, I gave away, we would give away drum sets and you'd think, oh man, you're giving a thousand or $2,000 drum set away. Why are you giving such a huge thing away? That's a very expensive like giveaway. I'm like, well, of course it is. But 
at the end of the day, like if you back into like cost per acquisition, the amount of money we spent on media to amp any of these like giveaways was so minuscule that it, when I launched the flywheel, people were very convinced that wasn't going to work. And, you know, within like two months, I was able to reduce the cost of acquisition from 14, I think it was dollars, because I had already like reduced it some from 16. So around $14, the flywheel started to kick in. And I was able to reduce the cost by, in five months, it got all the way down to 89 cents what? cost per acquisition of a user. Yeah. And the, it was because of the flywheel. It was basically the flywheel was filling the top of the funnel with email addresses, top and middle of the funnel. And then it was our job acquisition-wise to make sure that these folks got an email from us and obviously drip campaigns that went with it. And eventually along, along the way, they were, they were basically making zero revenue from social media at the time. And by the, by the time I was done, 11 months later, we, the company was expecting to become profitable in two years. I made it profitable in 11 months. Wow. They didn't know what to do. They were like, wait, we're profitable. Like, what? how is this possible? I'm like, we just did it. We should be happy, right? And it, it became profitable. And not only that, it was basically, I was able to turn off like amplification of these posts that we were doing. Like basically marketing spend, I turned off for three months straight and I was still acquiring users because the flywheel was so powerful at this time. I was still acquiring users at 50,000 new members a month. Wow because the flywheel was flying still. The process was still there. The social proof kept going on. And all we had to do was pay people for us to post and basically maintain the system I already had in place. Wow. So yeah, that's a great example of going from 40,000 members to 480,000 members in 11 months. That's incredible. So it yeah. can be done. Yeah, you don't, you don't hear about that type of growth very often, that's for sure. Yeah, it's all about problem solving though. You, you can find out a way to do it. There's always a way to get quick boosts of like audiences. And then you just realize with analytics, of course, analytics are the most important thing to me, at least. We built our own analytics platform while we were there and we tracked every single number we had. And from what I was saying earlier is they had zero dollar, zero revenue was associated to social media at the time. And by the time we sold the company, 30% of all the revenue coming in for the company was coming in through social. So was a pretty big yeah. change. Well, oh, yeah, it's night, night and day, or e even more drastic than that. So if people want to get a hold of you and then continue their conversation with you, where would you send them? I would say my, my main website, lucasbean.com, um, or you can find me over on Social Proof at socialproof.co, um, or you can find me on Twitter at Luke 360 or YouTube. What's up? <laughs> New channel on YouTube. Uh, it's uh, youtube.com forward slash at Lucas Bean. Nice. Well, one of the things I like to do here at the end is leave people with three actionable tactics based off of your, your experience and all you have to share. So uh, what, what would you give people th three things to, to think about as, as we conclude here? So the number one thing is be consistent. Like I hear people say it all the time, but you don't understand how important it really is to keep showing up even when you don't want it, which is discipline. I think that's number one. Number two is don't be afraid to take action on things that make you nervous or, you know, your brain's telling you to stop, like don't do, because those are the things that are probably going to give you the most growth. Um, and I'm talking business things like don't go out and rob a bank because you feel like robbing a bank, guys. And then three, I think, is don't be, a, don't be afraid to use giveaways. Like everybody thinks it's such a bad way 
of growing. And I think it's like one of the most efficient and effective ways to grow for the least amount of money spent. So you could literally get $100,000 worth of media by doing giveaways in a smart way for, and the giveaway costs like 500 bucks or a thousand bucks. And all of a sudden you get a hundred thousand dollars in value. So I think it's really important to stay focused on that. And number four, bonus one, don't be afraid to reach out to influencers and leverage them to connect with your brand and be able to market your brand effective to their audience because it's worth every penny. For every dollar you spend in influence marketing, you get $10 back in value. So very important thing to remember. Thanks so much for being a part of the show. Now, one of the easiest ways that we can stay in touch is that if you're watching on YouTube, please like this episode and subscribe to the channel if you'd like. And if you're listening to the audio version, rating on your favorite podcast app would mean the absolute world to me. So I'm Craig Shoemaker, and I'll see you again here soon on the Leverage 3 Podcast.